Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for Sundays and for worship and and, and the, the something special that happens during this hour. The being united in, in many things, singing, giving, loving, encouraging, building up, caring for one another. And yet, we are here now to the climax of each Sunday, which is hearing from your word. We've loved First Peter thus far. We ask God that now it would speak to us that we would understand this biblical idea of being free slaves. Slaves aren't free and free people aren't slaves when you take each word. But inside of Christianity, Father, that's what we are. Free to do whatever we want. Slaves to God. Free to do whatever we want. So, Father, we ask today that Your Word would be powerful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you would, turn in the Bible to 1 Peter chapter 2. Can you all hear me okay? I feel like you can't hear me. Can you hear me? 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 13 through 17 today. I'm feeling more and more every time with 1 Peter that it's so thick that I'm not able to go faster. I want to go faster with Peter, but I'm not able to a couple times I've looked up and it's been 12.15 and y'all have been thinking, are you ever going to end this sermon? And I'm thinking I haven't been able to explain everything that's there in the passage. That's kind of how First Peter is. It's not a narrative. It's not telling a story. It's him writing a letter. And so it's loaded with stuff. And so y'all forgive me when we go too long. Um, but today we're going to look at verses 13 through 17. And he's just building on what he has already said. And so for those of y'all that are here pretty regularly, it's going to make sense to you as it keeps flowing. <clears throat> If you didn't bring a Bible, the Black Pew Bible in front of you will have this. It's page 1114, 1114, 1 Peter chapter 2. Peter's going to continue on how our conduct should be, and he's going to address several different relationships in which our conduct ought to be good. As soon as I hear conduct, the first thing that comes to mind is a grade on your report card when you're younger. There used to be a a grade on your report card for conduct. Do you remember that? You would have like A's, B's, C's, and and, and maybe some lower grades for your academic work. But for conduct, it was usually just the, what is it, like a VG or maybe an E for excellent or VG for very good and then an S, satisfactory or N, (laughs) needs improvement, or a U for unsatisfactory under conduct. And you remember how like the... The, the, the hard stuff was the academic stuff. The most important stuff was the academic stuff. But the one that bothered you the most was the conduct grade. It's talking about just the way you handle yourself, the way you carry yourself, the way you interact with others, the way you listen to your teacher. It's really just the way you behave. That conduct grade was important. There's many, many students who've come home on the AB honor roll and have still ended up in trouble. Because of the conduct grade, right? Which brings to mind parenting. And y'all know I love parenting. You can't be a week away from having your fifth and not love parenting. 
I do. I love parenting. It, it gives so many thrills and, and so many joys. If y'all didn't know, Val is due next Sunday. Next Sunday, April the 5th, is Val's due date. But I love parenting, and I love all of the, the great times that come from it. Um, last night was one of those monumental moments for us. Last night was the first night ever that Carolina did not sleep in a crib. She's graduated to the big girl bed. We set that up yesterday. She slept in her brand new toddler bed with sheets and comforter and everything with a pillow for the first time in her life. And, and it was neat to think about that. We took pictures as she got into bed. We took pictures as she slept. <laughs> we took pictures when we woke her up. It's a big deal to us, right? And in parenting, a lot of it is just the reward of having kids and the reward of being happy with them and the reward of, of having this relationship that is unlike any other relationship in the world. You are the mother and father, and that's special. But there is even deeper things than, than that that come through parenting. God has caused us to be parents so that we might pass over to the kids the relationship between person to God. That's what God wants to accomplish. Now, love is a part of that, and joy is a part of that. But what is really important is for kids to understand that their parents... Are they are their authority. And children should know the parents are the authority. And the parents should know I am the authority. The kids are never in charge. The kids are to never have the final say. The kids do not know best. The parents are. And this is what parenting is about. In life, it's that way with God. God is the boss. God is the maker. He knows best. There's a reason why He's doing what He's doing in every situation. And in parenting, we're supposed to model this. Now, He doesn't do it through parenting in today's passage. He does later. But Peter is making this very argument. In last week's sermon, if you look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12... He says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. His point there is to keep the way you live, your attitude, everything about you, your conduct honorable. And he causes or says that they're able to do that because in the rest of chapter 2 leading up to that point, he has talked about how God has saved us. We are now set up on the cornerstone that is Jesus. Our lives are established on the truth. We have been born again. We have new life in Jesus. We are not what we used to be. We have turned from our sins. We are Christians. We are God's people. And so now our desire to live like that is real. Our desire to live in the world as different from the world is very real. And one of the ways that we do that is in the way we act toward people, authority. And there's lots of different authority. So the passage starts today in verse 13, and he's going to talk about like governing authorities. 
governments, humans in, human institutions. Then he's going to go on to um, masters and slavery. We could also think along those lines as jobs, bosses. Then he's going to go on, you look at chapter 3, he's going to talk about the family, husbands and wives. All of these are different types of authority. And for Peter, for the Bible, for God, you as a Christian must understand what it looks like to be a person of God in relation to the authority around you. Every one of us has family that is authority over us. Every one of us has jobs or, or bosses that are authority over us. Now I realize I guess there are some of you who, are, who are, have lived long enough that you don't have a mom or dad anymore or you've quit working so you don't have a boss anymore, but you know what I'm getting at. Many of us have coaches who are our authority. Every one of us have, have a government, have an insta, uh, 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 United States or state of Kentucky or city of Louisville uh, governing authority institution that is over us. And Peter sees it as very important to address to these people how they ought to be. Very, very fitting passage for 2015 for us. We Christians need to think about these things. So read with me, if you will, 1 Peter 2, verses 13 through 17. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants or slaves of God. Verse 17, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. This is a passage that I need to hear. This is one of those that we ought not be neglecting. This is one that we ought to listen to uh, more and more. We ought to read it. We ought to be familiar with it. Folks, Christians are to be outstanding citizens. Christians are to be outstanding citizens. And this is what Peter's addressing. He's talking to people who are, who are Jews, who are the elect exiles, who are scattered in all these cities, who are facing some persecution. Obviously that there are uh, cities and countries <clears throat> and nations rising up with governing authorities that are against Christianity. It happens today. It was happening then. There are a lot of places in the world that are down on Christianity that make it harder for you to be a Christian. It's not as easy. You're not as free at some places in the world to live for Christ. And Peter is speaking directly to these people saying, look, you ought to honor them. You ought to submit to them. You ought to obey them. In other words, you ought to be the best citizens in these settings. Read with me, verse 13. Let's walk through it. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor or king as supreme or to governors. In other words, Peter is saying, here's a principle of the Bible, that we are to be people who say, hey, you're the boss. We may have a lot of disagreements. We may not see eye to eye on a lot of things. But if you're the one in charge, then we are to be the ones who submit. That's what the Bible teaches. It upsets me at times how many arrogant, slandering Christians there are, or people at least who say that they're Christians, who do not understand this. 
Just because you have a bad boss or a bad coach or a bad parent or a bad governor or whatever else, you don't have the right at all to be dishonorable. Who do you think you are? Is what Peter's saying. You better get in line. Why? Well, he says, for the Lord's sake. Christians are to be the people who think at all times, more than me doing this for them, I'm doing this for God. There's not a situation at all in which we ever think outside of doing this for God. I'm doing this for the Lord's sake. Why do you listen to your coach so much? For the Lord's sake. Why do you listen to your principal? For the Lord's sake. Why are you so good in the classroom with a teacher? For the Lord's sake. Why are you so good with the police? For the Lord's sake. No matter what it is, the Bible tells us for the Lord's sake. Now, I'm not sure how good you are at turning in your Bible, but if you can, turn with me to Romans 13. Paul speaks even more clearly on this. <clears throat> Paul tells us a little bit more about the idea of authority. Man, our churches. In the world, in America, our church's witnesses, our testimonies would be so much stronger if we would simply listen to what Peter is saying here today. Be subject. Submit yourself to the governing authorities. Romans chapter 13, I'm going to read the first five verses. Listen to what Paul is saying about <clears throat> leadership, authority, and the governing authorities. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. See, that's what we believe. Ultimately, there's a greater authority out there in every authority. The authority is God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. I'm not sure if you've ever heard this before. When it comes to governing authorities, God has put them there. President Obama, God has put them there. And we are to be people who say, God put him there, I should listen to him. This is what the Bible teaches. Get on out of here with your dishonorable, not liking your president, saying I'm not going to obey him or honor him. Now, it's fine and good for you to say you don't like him, but you've got to honor him. We are to be people who honor the governing authority because God says, that's my man. I put him there. I'm not saying he's a person of God. I don't know him well enough. But this is what the Bible teaches. Let's keep going. Verse 2. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. You hear that? Every time you're dishonoring the governing authority, you're dishonoring God. You're resisting God. To resist the authority is to resist God. When players walk out on coaches, and you hear that all the time, Players walk out in the middle of a season and quit. Guess who they just quit on? God. When, when students want to act up in school, guess who they're uh, not only acting up against the teacher? No, not at all. God. Says it right here. Whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. Verse 3. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, look at this. Many of you don't know that the Bible teaches this either. Verse 4. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, 
an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. Why does he say the sake of conscience there? Because to go against any authority, whether they are good or bad, whether they are right or wrong, let me say that again, an authority, whether they are good or bad, whether they are right or wrong, to go against them is going against God. We have to be careful here. And going against God bothers our conscience if we are the born-again children of God. Now, before y'all start to think that I've, I've lost my mind, let me remind you that the Bible would teach us we only do this to the extent that we are able to obey God. We only stop honoring and obeying the authority only when they get us to disobey God. When it becomes against the law or against the authority to start disobeying God, that's when we stop. Do you remember the example of Daniel in the Old Testament, the book of Daniel, small book? Daniel was young and Daniel was a teenager. And he was there with King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. Daniel was a Jew, and he had been captured. He had been taken into exile. Horrible setting. And this evil, wicked, arrogant king, Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, put all of these restrictions, changed his name, literally brainwashed Daniel to become like him. It's an evil, awful system. You know what Daniel did? Daniel became the best in the entire system. Daniel increased his loyalty to God, asking God to make him the best to King Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel rose up to the best king that Nebuchadnezzar had ever seen. Daniel was the best behaved, the most obedient, the best functioning, the most successful, and he raised him all the way to the top. King Nebuchadnezzar loved Daniel. They didn't see eye to eye. Daniel said, I'll never worship your God. King Nebuchadnezzar said, you have to worship my God. Daniel said, I'll never worship your God. But Daniel knew this was the best young man he had ever seen. Finally, the king has to make a law because he was tricked by his evil people that you can only pray to the king. He made a law. You can only pray to the king. You cannot pray to God. Daniel, the best of the best, the best in King Nebuchadnezzar's system, the best Jew living in a worldly, non-Jewish system, said, I can't do that. So he goes and he keeps praying. They arrest him and they send him to be killed. They throw him into the lion's den to be killed. You see what happened there? Daniel was living in a situation where he disagreed with the king. But his faith in God taught him to be the best and most honoring and most obedient and most submissive to the king. Even though he didn't agree with him. Even though he thought it was wrong. Even though this guy was arrogant and rude and evil. But he was still the best. And then... When the king started making laws that were against God, that's where you saw Daniel's allegiance and his faith shine forth. And Daniel said, can't do that. I can't go against God. But to submit to authority and bow down to authority is of God. Flip back now to 1 Peter. And this is what Peter is saying. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution whether it be to the emperor's supreme or to, governors who, or, or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. God 
has set it up to where the, he puts the government in place to, to be one of these things that oppresses evil. Says it in Romans 13, I just read it. Peter says it again here, to punish those who do evil. Government is for this. It's not only for this, but this is what government does. If people do wrong, they ought to be punished by the government. And God has put this in place. And if people do well, they ought to be honored by the government. Okay? Verse 15. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Now look here. Peter, an apostle of God, very close to Jesus, a biblical writer, points out that in the world that we live in, there are ignorant people and there are foolish people. Okay, We're not going to get out of that. There are going to be foolish people in your lives. There are going to be ignorant people in your lives. That's just the world we live in. And the Bible never gives you permission to slap them or to be rude to them or to disrespect them. The Bible never gives you the permission to mouth off to them. The Bible gives you the, the freedom, if you will, because we're about to get into that, to live in such a way doing good that they are silenced. That they are silenced. Yes, they talk foolish. Yes, they are ignorant. But the things that they are saying are not making much headway because the people that they are saying about are so submitted, so submissive, so obedient to what the law is saying, what the government is saying. We can go very far in being respectful and honorable and obedient to the governing authorities. It is only until they tell us to stop obeying God or to go against God that we will reject them. And he says here that he understands this. And here's the motive, verse 15. This is the will of God. At the end of the day, God has simply asked for us our allegiance to Him. And our allegiance to Him can absolutely be seen in submission to governing authorities. Hey, there's a lot of, there's a lot of teachers out there that aren't their best. There's a lot of cops out there who aren't their best. There's a lot of coaches out there that struggle. None of those are a right for you to go off with disobedience disrespect and dishonor. Stop doing that. Here's the will of God for you to rise above it. I love it when Matthew Henry says this. He says, The will of God is, to a good man, the strongest reason for any duty. What a great quote. The strongest reason for me to obey, for me to obey this bad teacher, this bad cop, this, this bad governor, this bad government. The strongest reason? Because that's what God wants me to do. It's the will of God. Do they deserve it? No, they don't deserve it. Have they earned my respect? No, they haven't earned my respect. I don't know what your situation is. I don't know what's hard for you in, in, in a governing authority in your life. But the reason is not whether they, they're good to you or whether they've earned it or things like that. The reason is simply, this is the will of God. God wants us to. Because God has put them there and because it shows that our focus is mostly on God. If you're wanting everything, listen, if you're wanting everything in your life to line up the way it's supposed to be and then you'll be an obedient Christian, forget it. It's never going to happen. Never going to happen. It's the will of God for us to be good, upstanding citizens that do the right thing. Nearly every single morning when I drop the kids off at school, I've prayed with them, they're about to get out of the car, I say, look, leaders do the right thing. Leaders do the right thing. 
If you want to be a leader, you learn to do the right thing. If you can't make decisions and be poised and mature enough to do the right thing in a hard situation, you're not a leader and you don't know who you are. You don't have any identity. You're not a character guy. Do the right thing. Might be tough. Do the right thing. This is what Peter is calling Christians to do. You know, it's neat because we've got a lot of young people at our church, more and more young people coming to our church, and that's a, that's a good thing. You, you students ought to be, without question, the easiest, most simple to get along with for the school. Go with the flow. Do what is asked of you. Do your assignments. Obey your coaches. You students, especially you students that go to church that, 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 are, that are followers of Jesus, ought to be gold for your schools. The office ought to love it when you come in. There ought to be no bad attitudes and no back-talking and no disrespect, no disobedience. should be none of that. It's the will of God for you to go with it. Are there some there that get on your nerves? Are there some teachers there that their lives are a struggle? Maybe. But you're not living for them. You're living for God. If you forget it, just look it up. 1 Peter 2.15 This is the will of God, that by doing good. It is the mark of the Christian that everywhere in every situation we want to do good. We do. We want to do good. Verse 16. Live as people who are free. It's awesome. Not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. And I've titled this sermon, Free Slaves. He wants us to live as people who are free. What, what are we free from? He's not talking about the freedom that we have here in America. We love our country. We should. We're proud of our country. We have a free country. We're able to do anything we want to do. There's really no stopping us from the freedoms that we have. We praise God for that. And we are thankful and should continue to be so thankful for those who keep us in that position. Those who have gotten us there in the past and those who keep us there even now. We've got a free country. But he's not talking about that. He's talking about we are free from our sins. The Bible says that we are born into sin. We are slaves of sin. That we have a sinful nature and it is our tendency to do wrong. We are sinful people. And it is only through coming to know Christ, putting our complete surrender and trust in Jesus' blood on the cross, that we are washed free of our sins and we are given a new nature and our new nature now desires to obey God. We, are, we have been set free from the law of sin and death. Awesome passage that we read that Jake read in Galatians 5. And those who are in Christ have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. We no longer have that sinful nature. Christians don't. The world does. But Christians don't. We've been changed. We have new hearts. And our new hearts desire to love and serve God. So that, that sinful bend, that sinful nature has been crucified. It's gone. We've been set free from the power of sin and death and evil. and do whatever we want to. And because God has done that great work in us and given us the perspective now that it's not all about me, it's not about me trying to make me happy, it's not me trying to outbeat you or com compete at you with something like that to make me, make me better and you worse. Life's not about that. Life's just simply about God. So if you come to me and you're a little bit wrong or harsh or your, your authority system is not what I think it should be, I don't, I don't necessarily push back or disobey or dishonor you or talk back or mouth off. I say, what's for the Lord's sake? 
the will of God. And I'd be the best I can be. I want my life, by doing good, to silence the foolish. To silence the ignorant. And this can happen. Tom Schreiner, a great scholar, still alive, lives in Louisville, says, Genuine freedom is experienced only by those who are God's slaves. One is either, listen, one is either a slave of sin or a slave of God. I want to ask you, do you have control? Do you have the control of God, the self-control, the power of God in your life to, to stop sinning? Or, or, or does sin have you? Do you feel yourselves in, in chains spiritually, in shackles spiritually, because you can't stop sinning in some areas? Now, just don't take some areas and think, yeah, I'm doing pretty good. Think about those worst areas. Does sin have you? Then you need to come to Christ. You need to get saved. You need to admit today that you need to be set free. You don't feel free in Christ. You feel like a slave. And many people in the world are this way. They feel anything but free. They feel like they're, they're a slave in their sins. We need to be set free from that. That's what Christ does. But He says here, we are to live as people who are free. Let me give you a story. I, I've talked about it before. But I want to tell it to you again. It's, it's, it's outstanding to me. About Lot Carey. Have you ever heard of Lot Carey? You would, you would do so well to get you a little biography on Lot Carey. Lot Carey was born in 1780 in Virginia. He was born into slavery. He was African American, 1780. He was born as a slave. But his slave owner, his owner, uh, took them to church. The slave owner was a Christian. By the way, we hate slavery. Slavery was wrong and slavery was a sin. And it is a shame to the beginning of our country and a shame to Christianity that so many Christians had slaves. Slavery is wrong. But not all slave owners were, were wicked as, as, it's, as it's sometimes presented. They were wrong, but they weren't necessarily abusive to their slaves. This slave owner was good to, to Lot Carey. He took him to church with him. And when Lot Carey became an adult, Lot Carey got saved. He was African-American with a white slave owner. And he got saved. He got baptized and he joined the church. He was a slave that got saved, baptized, and joined the church. And he got married. And he had kids, lots of kids. And as his heart got focused on God, and as his life changed, and as his devotion to God grew, you know what Lot Carey said that he needs to do in slavery? For the glory of God, I need to be the best slave there's ever been. And so he increased his work ethic. He increased his volunteer hours. He increased his ability to be the best. And guess what? As soon as he could, saving all of his money, he bought himself out of slavery from his owner. Lot Carey became a free man. Then he had complete freedom. He started working even more, worked his tail off, saved all of his money, bought his wife out of slavery, bought all of his children out of slavery, saved up all of his money, and now he was free. His slave owner was so happy for him that this had happened. You know what Lot Carey did then? Lot Carey said, we need to take the gospel to the world. And Lot Carey became one of the first ever African-American missionaries to Africa. He started the Baptist Association in Liberia. Lot Carey became a missionary to Africa when he was a slave. He bought himself out of slavery because of his work ethic. Everything about Lot Carey's life shows that his devotion to God over... over powers overseas is stronger than all the other devotion that he has. And because of that, he was able to be the best slave there was and get himself out of slavery. 
This is what the Bible is talking about in being submissive to human institutions. And to live as people who are free, not using our freedom as a cover-up for evil. We are not those people, not at all. We are not those people who at all who think, well, well, I'm more Christian than my parents, or I go to church more than my parents, I don't have to listen to them. No. I don't have to listen to my, my, the police. They're, they're wrong. No. I don't have to listen to this person or this person. I don't have to listen to this, this authority. No. That is not the way the Bible wants us to be. The Bible wants us to be people who live as we're free, not as a cover-up for doing wrong or evil. There's never, ever a reason or a right or an excuse for us to do wrong. But living as servants of God. And that word servants there means slaves. We are simply people who want to please our Master, God. We want to live in such a way that God is pleased. We are more than happy to take a back seat so that God can have the front seat. We are more than happy to be humbled, submissive, obedient, so that it shows God is real in our lives. Peter wants them to understand this. Our time on earth is short and is limited. And it is only for us to point to the glory of God. We do this in the way we interact with people. It's easy if the interaction is smooth. But when it's not smooth, we still are to be those who do good, and who silence the foolish and the ignorant. We don't use it as a cover-up, but we live as slaves to God. And then he concludes with this. Look at verse 17, four commands. Honor everyone. What a statement. That's another way of saying what he just said, honor everyone. If you're a Christian here today, it should be your desire to treat all people well. Now you're going to know right off that some people don't deserve to be treated well. Some people are harsh to you, mean to you. God says, honor them. Honor everyone. See, we don't just honor those who honor us. Now if you want to be the proactive, yes, the golden rule is to do unto others what you would have them do unto you. But regardless of what they are doing unto you, you're to honor them. That's what the Bible says. Honor everyone. When I was in freshman in college, I was growing, sorry, sophomore in college. I was growing like never before. I knew I was being called into the ministry. I was trying to sort all that out. I was 19. I went through this little phase where I wanted to... Re Rebel in a good way if there's such a thing. I wanted so badly to, to just back myself away from every worldly, cool, 19-year-old desire. So I started dressing different, trying to look different. I tried to not look like me. I did some weird stuff. As a Christian, going to church involved with good people and good friends. And I was leading like youth groups too. One day a youth pastor called me up and said, can you meet me in my office? So I did. He said, uh, we got a lot going on here, a lot of good kids, God's working and God's using you. But I'm starting to think that the, the, the direction you're going and what you're doing is not going to be bad. I don't think it's going to ruin anybody, but it's just going to cause more issues than we need. I'd rather not deal with it. I'm going to ask you if you would to change that. I'm going to ask you if you would change the way you look. 
At first, the first five minutes, I thought, it's not about the way we look. I'm still a good kid. I love Jesus. But as I sat there and I thought about it, and you know, 5, 10, 15 minutes, 30 minutes in his office, I realized, this guy's not trying to ruin me. I went home, asked my friend to come help, pulled out the clippers, shaved all my crazy hair off, took the earrings out of my ears. If that's what the pastor wants me to do, that's what I'll do. It wasn't about it being right or wrong. Do you understand what I'm saying? There's nothing wrong with you having crazy hair. There's nothing wrong with you having earrings. But if the person that you're, that's leading you says he thinks you should do this, the college students say, yes, sir. That's what it means to submit to the authority over you. I had somebody call me from North Carolina, one home church down there, going off on the pastor and all this sort of stuff, all these problems, there's a problem in our church, and all this sort of stuff, you hear it before too. I said, wait a second, why are you going to church there? I said, I'm not telling you to leave the church. But if you're going to go to church there, follow the leadership. That's what it means to be a Christian. Leadership's not perfect. If you're looking for a perfect pastor, keep looking. Leadership's not perfect. But what it means to be a Christian is that we're going to follow the leadership. We're going to submit to the authority. Honor everyone. Honor people. Watch your relationships and the respect given to you grow because you honor everybody. I've been encouraged here lately. We've had some of the same people that come by our church asking for help come back like a year later. And I was telling Micah about this, is that it's a good sign. This means that they weren't pushed away or they weren't treated wrongly. We must have served them well when they came homeless or came hungry or came needy. They felt respected and honored, and so the next time they came back, the Bible teaches us to honor everyone. Look, there are people out there who don't live as well as you. There are people out there who don't live in such a way that you want to respect them and love them. You know what the Bible says to do to them? Honor them. There are people out there who completely disagree with you. There are people out there who completely disagree with God. The Bible says we should honor them. Why? Because they're created by God. Created in God's image. The Bible teaches us that when God made people, God said, hey, here's how we're going to do it. We're going to make them like us, Genesis 1 says. In our image, after our likeness, God says. And He does. People, all people, are created by God, created for God, to live to the glory of God. And if you and I know that, then they are God's, they're God's creation, then we should honor them. I learned a long time ago from a man who was talking about how he parents. And he said when the kids would talk back to their mama, he'd get all up in them and say, listen here, boy, you don't talk back to your mama. And that's good. But he said, then he started thinking a little bit more. He said, how can I make this stronger? How can I make this even stronger to show the authority here? And he said, listen, boy, you don't talk to my wife like that. Same thing. You don't talk to your mama like that, but it's a little bit stronger. You don't talk to my wife like that. Talking to your mama like that means you're not respecting your mama. Talking to my wife like that means you're not respecting me or your mama. 
Treating anybody like that says you're not treating the one who made them. You're not thinking about the person that made them. You're not thinking about the person that made them wants to change their life and wash away their sons, wash away their sins by their son that hung on the cross and died and shed his blood and gave his life so that they might be forgiven. And they might be so ignorant and foolish and disobedient right now that they don't want anything to do with that. But the way they're going to come to find out about it is the way you honor them. And when you dishonor them, they're not even close to understanding it. God made them. We want to honor them. Proverbs 24, 21 says, My son, fear the Lord and the king, and do not join with those who do otherwise. It is healthy for the people of God to say, My allegiance is to God, but under God I want to be good. I want to be obedient. I want to be submissive to those who are in authority. Secondly, he says, Love the brotherhood. Love the brotherhood. Peter is the only person in the Bible that uses the word brotherhood. He used it here and he used it in chapter 5, verse 9. It's the only person, but it's a good word. He's referring to the church as a family. He's referring to Christians who have committed themselves together as being in a relationship that is thicker, that is stronger than the relationship that is in the world. The relationships that we have in here are stronger than the relationships that we have out of here. I hope that you understand that. I hope that you're working for that. I hope that you are laboring to let those relationships get stronger. We ought to know each other better. We ought to know each other more deeply. We ought to be committed to each other. We ought to be able to love covers a multitude of sins. We ought to be able to love bears all things. We ought to have our best interest in mind even when we are at our worst. We ought to be able to forgive people even when they have sinned against us. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. That is the way we treat each other here. And what I love about a church is that's our common denominator. We're not all here because we're from Fairdale. We're not all here because we all like UK or UofL. We're not all here for those type of things. We're here because the blood of Jesus has washed away our sins and we worship Him and we want that to unite us. So we should love the brotherhood. Love the brotherhood. We are a family. You know, I really was thinking about this yesterday with that Easter egg hunt because it took a lot. There's some people here that bought eggs. There's some people here that bought waters. There's some people here that stuffed eggs. There's some people here that didn't show up at all yesterday, but they bought a whole bunch of stuff to get us to that point. There's some people here that with their authority position, let us in and use all the facilities at the high school. There's some people here that just were here and they love people so much, they stood at the gate and they stood on the track for two hours welcoming everybody. There's some people here that worked with kids there. There's some people here that use their skills to work on sound. There's some people here that use their skills to, to deal with the needy that were there. I mean, it took everything. There's some people that came and worked in the kitchen yesterday for four hours. There's some people that took 300 hot dogs and 300 buns wrapped in 300 pieces of foil. It took a lot. And we were all glad to do it. Because we're united in trying to serve God. We're a brotherhood. You know how you always hear that? Well, well, blood's thicker than water. You've heard that before, right? That's outside of the church and that's in the world. And that means family's tight. But listen to this quote that will rock your world. He says, this is by a black preacher who preached this week. He said, people say blood is thicker than water, but except when that water is baptism. 
Baptism is how you get joined into the church. What a strong quote. The relationships that I have with you as believers in Christ are stronger than the relationships that I have with my family living in North Carolina. We are a brotherhood. We are a family. And we are living with all we've got to be our best in the world for the glory of God. That those who oppose us would be silenced and that they would see that Jesus is real, that He forgives people, He's a Savior, and He changes lives. People say blood's thicker than water, but not when the water's baptism. Amen. Amen. Love the brotherhood. Thirdly, fear God. Believers are to honor the King and show Him respect because of His office. But they are not to fear Him. Only God is to be feared. There's a difference between honoring the King and fearing the King. We fear God. We fear God, as Gopelt says, fear belongs only to God because God alone determines existence and non-existence. Like you hear people say, you're ready to meet my maker? Yes, God is our maker. He gives and He takes away. And so we fear Him with a healthy fear. We are to fear God. There is this one ruling relationship in the world, in our lives, that supersedes every other relationship exponentially. It is to God. He is our God. He made us and He loves us and we fear Him. And then he says, honor the emperor. He sets apart fearing God, honoring the emperor. Whether the king is a good king or a bad king, we honor him. Peter is teaching. He wants the Christians to know. He's about to go on next here to slavery and talk about that. And then he moves over into the household in chapter 3. He's wanting us to know that this relationship with God, our submission to Him, our, our devotion to God, strongly outweighs our relationships in the world. And when God grows you to the point where you desire your life to bring Him glory, you desire for your life to make a difference, you desire for the people around you to know Jesus and be saved, you want people to be forgiven of their sins, then you will understand the importance of living in such a way that it reflects God. That it reflects that God is your God. This is what it means this is what it means to be people who do it for the Lord's sake. For this is the will of God. If you're here today and, and you don't like what I'm saying, if you're here today and you think, I'm just not doing it. If you're here today and you think, wow, I, I like the idea of me wanting to be the best citizen I can possible, possibly be. But I've never thought about it the way Peter's describing it. Then I ask you today to look to Christ. The Bible teaches that Jesus is the Savior of sinners. Anybody here today can be right with God. Have their entire perspective, outlook, worldview changed. Listen, we're allowed to have our opinions on any authority over us. You don't have to like them. But if you're a Christian, you ought to submit to them. May God grant us the power in Christ as obedient children to God, to be faithful unto Him under every governing authority. Let's pray. Father, thank You for the Word of God that often gives us what we need to hear. Father, I probably would have never preached on that ever were it not right there next in the text. God, I pray that Your Spirit would cause us to hear. I pray, God, that You would Lead us to repentance where we're arrogant, where we think we're right. We don't think we need any instruction or nobody to teach us. 
Father, help us to be those people who say, God is my King, my Master. God is my Lord, my Savior. I want my life to live as humbly and surrendered to Him. God, move in our hearts now. Cause us to respond to Your teaching. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.